That's the hard part, putting everything into a theater space and having one week to make the lighting, the props, the set changes, the costume changes, and everything work. It's challenging, and we did it for eight years. This is the Community of Theater podcast, where we shine a spotlight on the community theaters, the local theaters, the amateur educational and outreach theaters, the not-for-profit theaters of all kinds that stage over 25,000 productions across America every year. Today, I'm joined by Barbara Schuler to have a conversation I have really been looking forward to since conceiving the podcast. And we're going to talk about the history of Austin Theatre Project, a company that was active from, what, 2009? Yeah. To when was the, the <laughs> to last... To the pandemic death. <laughs> yeah, which was... 2000, yeah, 19, 2020. Common to so many theaters. Yes. Some have survived, but some have survived in very scaled back ways. Mm-hmm. So let's start uh, at the beginning, certainly before the beginning of Austin Theater Project, before you were founding theater companies here in Austin, you had a professional acting career. To some degree, yes, I did. I uh, started as a kid doing high school musicals before I was in high school and living in Fairlawn, New Jersey, which was 15 minutes outside of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, they did have a lot to do. There was a place called Old Library Theater, which was really in an old library. Uh-huh. And uh, I did a lot of things there. And then I worked at a place called Playhouse on the Mall in Paramus, New Jersey, which was an actual equity house with some wonderful producers. And I started as an usherette. That's what they called us. (laughs) Um, I also then wound up, after talking to people who were in the backstage area and having some experience, they put me backstage where I learned props, lighting, how to be a dresser. All of that stuff. All, stuff all the techie stuff. Well, I did. I had already done performing, but I learned all my techie stuff, which I absolutely love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still give credit to you know right through this career of learning that stuff at Playhouse on the Mall, doing eight shows a week and being paid like twenty five dollars a week. Yeah. Um, and if you're a dresser, you get tips. That was the biggie. You really? Know, if you got to be a dresser, yeah. From the actor? From the actor. I like. I was Mame's dresser for Mame, and I was in I do I do. I do, I was the guy's dresser, and they both tipped like twenty five dollars a week, so oh. I made fifty dollars wow, a week. Yeah. You know, with my driving my first car, which only took like ten dollars worth of gas. Yeah. But um, that's really where I learned so much about theater, and I also met people with the children's theater that performed there during the weekends and mm-hmm. some weekday mornings. And I became a member, a performing member of that theater. Okay. So that was a lot of fun. It was great. I did children's theater for several years with this group and we toured around. We went to different schools, Hackens, you know, gotcha. in the Bergen County, Passaic County area of New Jersey. And then I started just auditioning for, you know, different community theaters that I didn't even care if I got paid. That's, you know, mm-hmm. the way it was back then. Um, different groups I did, you know, many, many. I did Sound of Music. I was 16 going on 17 until <laughs> I was 25. Um, I did Godspell. I did, uh, what else, my favorites, Sound of Music, mm-hmm. uh, Fiddler on the Roof. I played both of the younger daughters, um, 
all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I did, you know, dinner theaters, which is a long gone thing, and they were so wonderful. Um, I did many dinner theaters. As a matter of fact, I eventually moved to Florida after getting cast in a dinner theater production uh-huh. out of New York, New Jersey. And that's how I wound up in Florida. And then I wound up working for SeaWorld Entertainment, which was <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and no, I didn't swim or anything like that. I was <laughs> in a children's children-ish version of a story, and I was Opie Otter. Uh-huh. And it was a lot of fun, but that was... That paid really well and even had benefits. It was like, ooh, this is cool. Uh-huh. So that that's kind of where I came from on that. My degree is in music education or your elementary music ed, uh-huh. um, which I never used because I don't like children other than mine or <laughs> that much in yeah. big groups. You know, they, my mom was like, oh, you love being a camp counselor. You'll love teaching. Uh-huh. And no, <laughs> not so much. Yeah. But, you know. That's interesting you mentioned dinner theater being a thing of the past because I have a number of times over the years mentioned I do theater to someone who's not in that world at all. Mm-hmm. And some of them just confuse it. And I'll say community theater or amateur theater. And they keep referring to it as dinner theater. And I, it's not usually worth correcting them because yeah. it's not germane to the conversation. But I've worked with someone recently who moved from Colorado, from the Denver area, within a, the past few years. And apparently there, there is still an active professional dinner theater scene. So I guess it is just a regional variant. It is. Because, you know, we've been in Texas. It'll be uh, it'll be. 15 years in December, mm-hmm. but coming out of the Northeast and then Florida, dinner theater was a real thing. I mean, in, in New Jersey, I worked for a company called Neil's New Yorker, mm-hmm. which was big. I mean, they just did show after show after show, and it was all dinner theater. And then, like I said, in Florida, in Orlando, yeah. I worked for a company called Once Upon a Stage, and that it was Huge, and this isn't amateur stuff. These are no nope. commercially viable I mean, they, enterprises. Yes, they were not equity, but um, we got paid real well and yeah. fed, and uh, yeah, they were really quite interesting. That is interesting. I I've had multiple episodes already talking about the financial side of community theater, and generally, it is not a self-supporting thing. So I presume the dinner half of that must be what makes it financially viable. It's essentially a restaurant with us. The hook is, hey, here's a performance too. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked really well. I mean, it wasn't always enough to completely live on. Mm -hmm. Um, That's how I learned how to bartend at a place across the street from there. But um, yeah, I mean, they paid you and they moved me, helped me move down there and find a place to stay. And that's how I wound up in Orlando. Yeah. Well, and then you mentioned SeaWorld also, and that, that's also fun that because fun. one of the few mm-hmm. professional actors I know here in Central Texas or, or knew a few years ago who, I mean, I, I know lots of people who have careers in the arts. Most of them are teachers. But one of the few people with a steady performing job I knew was working at SeaWorld in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. That's another one of those ways to to make it in the business without being yeah. in Chicago or LA or in Orlando New York. working at Universal and mm-hmm. obviously Disney all the Disney things or SeaWorld yeah the, that's where all your performers made their money yeah that's interesting okay so then i know also more germane to to my own personal history with you the fantastics you toured as luisa yes yes um did yeah, I did. It was also a dinner theater oh, okay. in New Jersey. 
Um, and then it got picked up. Somebody came in and bought <laughs> bought us. Yeah. And took us to two other dinner theaters. Uh-huh. And so that was, it wound up to be almost a year's worth of Louisiana around, you know. <laughs> like I said, I was eternally 16. I was like, you know. 25, 26, when I was still doing that. As you know, well, our Louisa was hardly 16 either. <laughs> right. But uh, so that's that was what happened with that. And that was that was pretty great. Yeah. And then I, at some point you ended up here in Texas. But I know you still have connections with the current actual Broadway world. You, you I do. Uh, and were, is that the, the time you made those connections? Yeah. They're all old, old friends that mm-hmm. I grew up with. Um some people are performers. Um, my high school, college boyfriend mm-hmm. um, is a Tony-nominated orchestrator on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he does all kinds of things. He's had spam a lot. Uh, something Rotten, uh-huh. Fiddler. Uh, he's done many, 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 yeah. you know, orchestrations for Broadway shows. He's also won Emmys for the children's... Uh, something pets show wonder Mm -hmm. pets on television so he does quite a bit and one of the last shows we did was something that he had written called Mm -hmm. a perfect life and atp produced that for him so that was fun too and uh then just you know friends who one runs the front of the house and one you know one is one was on broadway for quite a while another one's a producer and trying to get his own show up and running so yeah, they're all people I grew up with, New York and New Jersey people. So the ones that are still there, yeah. many are still into that. Uh, the reason that I, I kind of dive into that question and ask for that clarification is part of the reason this podcast exists is that I find there'd be such value in theater across the country. But I think a lot of people who aren't involved in theater view community theater as being sort of a strange thing. Why do this when Broadway exists? When And so you have, you go to Broadway on a regular basis. You see the premier productions in the world. And yet you decided here in Central Texas to get involved in producing your own shows. You see value in that. Yes. So, so so where is that value? What's the point of all this? Okay, well, first of all, the reason we moved all over the country in my, our, my married life and my children life um, is my husband's job. He works for a company that moved us around. We wound up in Austin, Texas because of that. Um, I knew Austin did have some theater, but I didn't know how much. And one of the first things I did was, you know, Google, where can I go work? you know, on a show. Mm-hmm. And it came up with Way Off Broadway. So I went there and said, hi, I want to volunteer. What can I do? And I wound up, you know, working props or something for a show. And then I worked with you guys helping mm-hmm. backstage. And then I, you know, I kind of said, well, do you guys ever do musicals? And they were like, oh, no, we never do musicals. <laughs> I went, well, why not? And they never really had a good answer. And I kept mm-hmm. bugging them throughout the production saying, you know, let me come and direct something. And that's how I wound up doing Fantastics. They were kind of blown away by, whoa, it's, those rights are awful expensive. We do yeah. melodramas that we don't even have to pay the rights for. And I was like, yeah, but you can charge for the tickets and we'll fill the house. And we did. Mm-hmm. But the people in charge there just were like, yeah, it was good and it was fun. But no, we don't want to do that. 
Yeah. And we've talked about on this podcast about how expensive it is just to secure rights for a musical. Yes, That's definitely is. a thing. But to back up and give a little context for listeners, the Way Off Broadway community players is in Leander, Texas, which is a little ways north of Austin. At this point, it is very much just a suburb of Austin. Mm-hmm. But it is like the other uh, theaters that I frequently have guests on from on this show. It is... It's not quite rural. It, it's suburban, but it's it's one of these community theaters in around the orbit of of Austin, and it is very much a community theater. The this theater that we were performing the Fantastics in, which you alluded to a minute ago, was probably a 60, 70 seat house. Yeah. In a complete uh, with bats. Yeah, <laughs> I remember the bats. I didn't remember who was fantastic because they they showed up for. But it was yes, it did. was a warehouse building. It was yeah. like a strip mall warehouse, and I I know way off Broadway is still functioning, but I think they right, lost their but that, bu- that building's gone. I think it finally yeah. got condemned. Well, they moved to another similar. And they moved venue to a, for a similar while. place. Yeah, yeah, like a mile away, and they're they're still running shows. They're running, you know, shows that are mostly melodrama type. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to call them, but yeah. things that don't need rights paid for them. Oh, okay. And I think that's how they continue to do it. But, but they're without a venue right now, right? They lost. No, they have a venue. It's oh. a different. It's in a different place. It's off Hero Way, which is like two, three miles from oh. where they I, were. I thought they lost their venue during the pandemic. I think they did, oh, but so I just okay. saw an email go by like several weeks ago with an, with a, an entire season. Oh, great! And the senior, which I am a member of, the seniors <laughs> from Cedar Park Leander have bought season tickets to. To see their show, so I know they're still going. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so they're, it's they're, wonderful. they're successfully reestablishing themselves. Yes, it's wonderful. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so the Fantastics happened. Uh, you talked the Way Off Broadway uh, board into putting on this musical. I recall we had a wide range. We had, I think, one. Uh, house of only three people, but we also had sellout nights. Yeah, and then that company just wasn't interested in continuing to do musicals. Right. So what happened next? How did you decide? Um, well, my business partner at the time, David Blackburn, mm-hmm. and I went to San Antonio and we saw Corpus Christi there. Mm-hmm. And in tears at the end, we went, we, we have to figure out a way to, to pull something together and do this show. And so we said, um, we threw, you know, talked and talked and talked and threw around names and came up with Austin Theater Project. Mm -hmm. And we decided we were going to do Corpus Christi. And the church that he went to is a wonderful, open to everyone type of church. Mm -hmm. And they were going to give us the space to do it in. And through my friend, who's the orchestrator in New York, because we were getting absolutely nowhere trying to get the rights. him and I were at, um, we went to see Carrie downtown in New York City, and Terrence McNally and his partner were there that night. Uh-huh. And um, so he, Larry, knew his partner, Tom, very well, and he introduced me afterwards, and I kind of went, we've been trying to get the rights to Corpus Christi for quite a while, and I told him where we were located, and Terrence came out of Austin. Hmm. So he went, give me your email. By the time I got, you know, we had gone to get something to eat and talk to people and got back to the hotel, there was an email saying, call this number on Monday morning, and we had the rights, and we, <laughs> we moved along and got, you know, Corpus Christi up and running. It was quite successful for what it was, um, and then we went on after that to do another straight play, Man in the Moon Marigolds, 
also wonderful cast, mm-hmm. well received, got some you know nominations for some awards and everything like that. But then David and I kind of looked at each other and went, oh, "Yeah, well, this is fun, but our love, our you know, what we really, really love is mm-hmm. musicals." So we were like, "Well, let's try and just you know keep doing musicals." And basically, that's you know because we had so much fun with the Fantastics. Yeah. And not that the other two things weren't fun, but we wanted to go back to musicals. So we went, all right, what do you want to do first? And I said, I want to direct Baby. Uh And um, so that was our first musical, and that started it. And it was so well-received, incredibly wonderful cast. And, you know, we didn't make a lot of money, but we broke Mm -hmm. even, uh, thanks to my husband and his (laughs) generous donations Uh um, and his hard work on, on sets. Yes. We broke even, and we said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Austin Theater Project's going to do like four or five shows a year, and they're going to be musicals. But our biggest problem, going into a slightly different subject, is we didn't have our own space. And not having your own space has many, many problems. Um, Having to rent a venue, pay for the venue. Mm -hmm. Venues like Dougherty, which are supposedly city-run and Mm -hmm. (laughs) affordable, but they charge you, if you're 15 minutes late, they charge you an extra hour. Mm. Um, the place was not the cleanest of places to work. Just all kinds of things that, that were involved in finding you know, a good space to work with people who understood our needs. Um, having to build complete sets in, in our, our garage and our driveway in Cedar Park mm-hmm. and then have them taken down and put up like just the day before... Tech Week, which for those who don't know is the week prior to your opening, where right. everything technical has to come together. Mm-hmm. That was really difficult. If we had, I think, I think if we had our own space, we might still be running. Yeah. Although you know, we did have wonderful places that we worked. We also had some that were just really, really super challenging. Yeah. Backing up to the foundation of the organization, I just want to make sure I understand it correctly. You uh, incorporated, you came up with the organization name, Austin Theater Project, right. basically because you needed a mechanism to put on that first show, to put on right. Corpus Christi. Right. And so it wasn't this grand vision from the beginning. You put on a show, you put on another show, and then kind it's of... It's like, hey, let's put on a settled, show. You settled on a grand vision eventually. Yeah. So, And we had to incorporate, and we had to go for the 501c3 so we could accept donations mm-hmm. and go for grants and things and... That's, I know eventually you, you had you know like people in charge of fundraising or right. volunteers we and that sort of thing. We wound up with a wonderful board of people that um, everybody took on their own little things. And did they, that develop organically though, or did it you? It was have, like, hey, do you want to work with us? Pretty uh-huh. please, we need help because David's yeah. the music and I'm the directing, and you know mm-hmm. my husband's the technical part, and we need this, this, and this. And different people stepped up because they liked what they saw us doing in the first couple of things, and people stepped up, joined the board, and we wound up with a really good working board that made things happen. So then, once you had decided to put together entire seasons, how did you go about selecting those seasons? <laughs> David and I sat at this very table and went, okay, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? And each of us would pick things. Um, 
that we wanted to do. At first it was like, well, I've always wanted to direct this. and Or he's like, I've always wanted to do this. Um, and then we'd throw back and forth, well, is it financially possible? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the rights going to be? How difficult are the sets? How many people do we need? How many musicians do we need? And once we threw that back and forth and we got it down to a smaller number that we thought were possible, we'd have a board meeting and we'd go, okay, these are the things we'd like to do. Let's have your input. Um, Several times people would say, no, that's not a good idea, or I work with such and such a group, and they're going to be doing that, so we shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But then they would approve or disapprove or whatever, and we'd come up with our season. So you and David were kind of the, you you were always the creative team. Yeah. This isn't like a lot of organizations where they kind of separate out. We're a company, we're the administration, and we'll go find a creative team to do each of these separate shows. Correct. This is always creative team driven. Yes. And did you ever have guest directors or did you direct? No, no, no. I directed a lot of things because... I didn't have to pay myself, <laughs> so that saved a lot of money. But yes, we had uh, probably a half a dozen people that were guest directors. Um, Jeff Hinkle was one mm-hmm. of our guest directors. Audrey Barrett was one of our guest directors. Um, different people. Jeff directed actually three or four times. So. Well, that's a, an interesting segue. You mentioned being needing to pay people. A lot of community theaters don't pay anyone or they only give a stipend to directors. And I do recall that you seem to view it as a, an ethical imperative to try to compensate your actors to some degree. Yeah. Can you kind of talk about your philosophy on that and how that panned out? I mean, they're, they're giving up their evenings, time with family. They're driving their cars when gas was not as cheap as when I was a kid and mm-hmm. I was first doing it. Um, so we wanted to give them something. I mean, sometimes it was $25 for the run. Sometimes it was $50 for the run. But mm-hmm. it was like, we care. We thank you. Here's mm-hmm. this. Um, however, not so much the directors, myself or Jeff or anybody, but stage managers, musicians, people like that required a lot more money and they demanded a lot more money or they went someplace else. And that's part of what our financial problems were. And I'm not saying that they didn't deserve it. They do. But we're not Georgetown. We're not, you know, we don't have, we haven't been around for 25 years with lots and lots of people contributing and many, many, many grants. Um, So we didn't always have that money to pay what people needed. So we just did what we could. Yeah. For context, Georgetown Palace is a old, well-established, well-funded community theater in the area. It's a large theater, and they sell out constantly. And they have a donor base. That's a critical distinction. And also, some shows are just completely covered by... You know, one company or another, or you know, and I look at that program and I go, "Why couldn't we get this?" And we tried, but we just, you know, I think if we, uh, it always comes back to if we had had our own venue, a building, where people would could would know that they could come and help out, they could come and help build. You know, this is where we're located all the time. Um, We might have been able to get more money and kept going longer. Did you spend a lot of time trying to find a permanent home like that? We did. Yeah. We really did. We even one of our board members is somebody who finds commercial real estate, mm-hmm. but the prices and converting it to what we needed were just beyond what we could do. Yeah. My impression is that a lot of Austin theater companies 
those that have their own venue also are, they, I, I don't know if they rent out the space, but they certainly host a lot of productions by other companies. Mm-hmm. You almost have um, to. I mean, that's uh, the ground floor theater, right? They, yeah. They, I believe they have their own season, but also a lot of... Yes, yeah. they rent out the space a lot. And, and you used the ground floor a yes, few times. Yes, we used it. Lisa is absolutely wonderful in one of the places where you've got somebody who's a theater person and mm-hmm. she knows how much time you need. And she hands you the keys and said... Lock up when you're done with the rehearsal. If it's midnight, mm-hmm. it's midnight. We don't care. Just lock up. Yeah. And, and that was like such a big blessing to be working for her in her space. Um, but they do a lot of things that are, I don't know if you call them niche things, but they do a lot of like tilt works there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of L- LBQ things go there. And those mm-hmm. are the things that they can get major grants for. And uh, that's yeah. what keeps them going. Mm-hmm. And a lot of... Uh, productions are originals, which of course there's no rights or anything to pay because it's an original production. Yeah. Um, so that's what keeps them going, and they're still having trouble because I know their rent got raised, and that's why they're they're still constantly having to do fundraisers and yeah. you know try and make ends meet. But so far so good. Yeah. Um, um, that seems like the universal theater experience. But yeah, yeah. But that's that's the hard part not having not having your own space to work in, putting that. Putting everything into a theater space, you know, and having one week to make the lighting, the props, the set changes, the mm-hmm. costume changes, and everything work. It's challenging. And we did it for eight years. And I think, you know, we did a yeah. good job. I, you know, we our productions were wonderful. We had mm-hmm. incredible performers, yourself included, oh, and, and your wife. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we did really, really good work considering all the challenges. Oh, yeah. But then, you know, the pandemic came along and everything shut down. And afterwards, you know, David and I just got my husband just kind of looked at each other and went, I, I think we're done for now. Yeah. Because you know, it just, you know, just kind of died out. Yeah. The pandemic certainly had that effect on a lot of theaters. But what was the fundraising experience like for ATP? Like pulling teeth. Um <laughs> We had some people that were quite generous, but just just not enough. And like I said, what we were doing, we did some things that were edgy. I mean, we did falsettos, we did bear, um, and we got some grants and some, you know, um, the Gay Lesbian Alliance in, gave us money for, for both of those productions. But it was just too hard to keep going. There just wasn't enough coming in. I mean, you know, people would give us $1,000, but that doesn't even make a drop in the bucket for rental of the yeah. space and rights for the musical. Mm-hmm. So it just it just got too difficult to keep up. Yeah, and that's essentially why the, the theater project's on hi- hiatus now? Yeah, I, you know, that's what our website says is, yeah. you know, and thank you for eight years. You know, right mm-hmm. now we're not doing anything. I mean, someday we might turn around and go, hey, we'd like to do this. And there's a space, right? Yeah. I don't know. You'd never say never. Mm-hmm. But for now, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I kind of like having my time to myself to spend <laughs> with my granddaughter and hang mm-hmm. out and be with my family and not have to be every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, you know, it. It, it became a lot. Yeah, rehearsal schedules are very taxing. Yes, they can yes. be. I drove down um, to Whole Foods the other day from here, and it was by Balanced Dance Studios. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't believe I drove down here every night for rehearsals and then, you know, four times a week for shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, a, you know, 
we just did it. Yep. So it was, it was tough. I think that is an effect the pandemic had on everyone who was commuting for anything. We just went for a couple of years of not commuting. And so now we have all these news stories going on about corporations trying to force people back into the office and people refusing. And yeah, yeah, life's a lot nicer when you don't have to spend two hours a day on the road. In some ways, it was it was really nice to just sit at home and not do Mm -hmm. anything. But, you know, we're both retired now, pretty much. I, Mm -hmm. you know, me from the travel agent thing that I was doing and. Mm -hmm. Jim from J and J. So we try. We've been traveling. We've been taking you know two, three cruises a year, going to New York once or twice. Mm-hmm. You know, just but you know if something comes up and it's like, oh, this is a special price and it's next week. Let's go and we we go. Oh, Whereas wow, before, yeah. I always had to look at the schedule and think, uh-huh. okay, I'm directing this and this is when this runs and I can't go. And you know, and he was working so. We kind of got used to not having to answer to anybody as far as where we go or don't go. We're lucky that my, our son still lives here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, uh, we're leaving for two weeks. <laughs> watch the dog and watch the house. We yeah. got spoiled. As much as I miss the theater stuff, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure that I want to go back to it to that degree. Yeah. But if there was an opportunity to, do, to you know, direct a musical, like yeah. maybe one a year, <laughs> yeah. I would, yeah, I would do that. Well, there's constantly, it seems like a churn of new organizations popping up and, and unfortunately fading away, but hopefully, you know, one will pop up here near you so that you can have that, that would opportunity. be nice. Yeah. yeah. One tried and it was an outdoor thing and again, got killed by the pandemic and yeah. allergies and mosquitoes yep. and they went, oh, this is not a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, there are a lot of theaters here that do outdoor summer productions, yeah. and they are, I've done one or two, and they are taxing. They are taxing, <laughs> Physically I know. taxing. There's a new one going to be up in the Hillside Galleria, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to go to that, but I mean, Zilker does wonderful productions every yeah. year, and I just, we've been once or twice, but it's just like, I, I can't do this. Yeah. It's too hot, I'm not comfortable sitting on the ground, and I'm getting eaten by mosquitoes with a mm-hmm. ton of spray on me. Well, down on the south side of Austin, where I live in Kyle and Buda are two, uh, they're suburbs of Austin at this point, though they weren't 15 years ago. But <laughs> yeah. Austin's grown. Uh, but both of them now have summer musicals in the parks starting up. And uh, yeah, the, the Broke Thespians, who I have interviewed a number of times, they are one of them. They're in San Marcos, rather. They're getting a, a summer musical in the park going. And that town, that college town that has a nice stage outdoor for that sort of thing but they just never had the the yeah. organization to put them on but that's they're in their second year though to do Willy Wonka and Central Texas is is not the place for I never had allergies till <laughs> I moved to Cedar Park and realized I had a cedar allergy after they said you have cedar fever mm-hmm. I don't even know if I could sing outdoors I mean yeah. I just it, no, it's it has so many challenges, but there are so many. Yeah. And, and Wimberley has had the Emily Ann has been doing summer productions outdoors for years and years. But it's a big thing, but it yeah. is it's hot. It is not quite as bad as it might seem. In that, yes, we get these strings of a hundred degree plus days, but usually the performances are scheduled to begin at sundown. Mm-hmm. So you're actually you're still performing at eighty, sometimes the ninety degree weather, but it's not yeah. it's not a hundred degrees and in the sun. We don't really do that. That would be not feasible. Yeah. Well, like I said, I've been to Zilker a few times. I plan on mm-hmm. going up to the hillside, new one that they're going to do this summer, and taking mm-hmm. my granddaughter to see Beauty and the Beast. Oh, is that this year's? That's this year. Yeah. Andrew Canada, give him a shout out. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, I mean, we'll go and see it. Mm-hmm. But 
I guess I'm just not an outdoor person like I used to be. In New York and New Jersey, it never bothered me. And out no. at sea, I'm like, yeah. I don't even take my allergy medicine when I when we go on a cruise. But mm-hmm. this the minute I'm home, it's like, ah, give me my allergy stuff. <laughs> well, back to the the middle of Austin Theater Project's tenure. I was in a production called National Pastime with you. Right. And is the term workshop for that? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um tryout workshop um david was friends with somebody i don't remember who was married to somebody Mm -hmm. who had a production and they had never they had done like just a a reading of it where you sing the songs you read the script but Mm -hmm. there's no performance of it and so david asked them you know are you interested in doing this would you like us to put it on for you and Mm -hmm. they jumped at it and they paid for it so we did it and you know you realize I mean, you were there. You realized what the problems were. We had somebody sitting at a desk for like 20 minutes going, why am I sitting out here? (laughs) Or, you know, how did I come out from stage right? I never left, you know, or I I never left. Or And, you know, there were problems that were inherent. And that's what a workshop does. It brings to light, you know, what the problems were that you didn't notice, you know, when you just wrote it down. And you work through those problems and hopefully come out the other end with, you know, a show that you can then take and and try and sell somewhere else or do something else with. And I believe he took it and it was produced in three other places, mm-hmm. um, did not get as good a reviews as ours did. <laughs> um, and I don't know whatever happened with it, but yeah, workshops are cool. They're, yeah. you know, and that was a fun one to do. Like I said, you know, we did a second one just three years ago towards the end of our project. And it's great because it gives, it gives us something to do that's new and different. It gives the author and writers a chance to see, oh, yeah, that, that doesn't work. That person shouldn't be sitting there at that desk because there's no reason to be sitting there or mm-hmm. that number really doesn't work as well as it did in my mind. Yeah. So that was fun. Yeah, and just I, I should have introduced that concept better, but you know, a, a workshop in this sense is there is a work that's been written, and someone is trying to refine it to get it to be a you know a commercially viable production. Right. And the goal for that one was a Broadway production, yes, right? That's what they were trying correct. to work toward. And I believe so. This was the musical national pastime, but I think this was a straight play first, right? That was already published. I think it was taken yeah. from a straight play and yeah. it was just, they then adapted it right. and added music to it. It was an interesting opportunity to be part of the, I guess, the professional theater world, because even though this one doesn't seem to have made it, and I, I might be wrong about that, it might still be a work in progress. You know, I don't know, surely this is a thing that's going on all the time across the country. People yeah. are trying out these works and right. a few of them will make it into fully. Yeah, the second one that we did, the one that we did three years ago, was called A Perfect Life. And um, us doing a complete show of it, you know, meaning Mm -hmm. sets, costumes, you know, actors moving around within characters, you know, and all that stuff, um, showed them some of the things that needed to be done and taken care of and where some of the weak spots were. And I know that that went on to be done again at 54 Below, which is, you know, in Midtown Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that it's sold or gone any further, but, you know, it, it just, each time it's done in some form, workshop or concert version, it gives the, the writers a chance to see what needs to be fixed, what needs to be tweaked, what's wrong with it. Yeah. And, and that's a good thing. 
I try on this podcast to provide actionable advice for new theaters or just inexperienced theaters, board members, whatnot. But I'm afraid it sounds like the the way to get into workshops is probably to know someone already, at least from yeah. Two. The yeah. two that we did one one was a connection of David's, one was a connection of mine, mm-hmm. and. Um, Nobody's act. We did have somebody come to us and send me an email and want us to do a production, a workshop production of his, because yeah. he had seen our work and he li- he liked our work. But we both read it and went, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, you know, yeah. so um, it can go either way. I mean, you know, sometimes somebody will know of a, of a company and approach them, mm-hmm. or some companies just know of somebody and something that they're doing i have a friend who's written a musical and it's been he's been working on it for years i mean i think he started on my piano at my (laughs) parents house Uh in fairlawn new jersey um and he's had so many concert versions and workshop versions and i you know i said would you like us to do something oh no i'm not going out of the new york area to do it it's like okay up to you (laughs) but you know this it does give people the chance just to see their work Mm -hmm. And see what needs to be fixed or how to make, you know, what is, is this going to work? Is this not going to work? But he listens to everybody and too many people have told him what to do and he keeps changing it and it's going nowhere. (laughs) But, you know, that's what, that's what you do. That's what a workshop is for. Yeah. I guess the only item I still have my outline is the uh, the live music versus backing tracks uh, mm-hmm. issue because right now I'm music directing in Lockhart nine to five and what I'm actually doing is vocal directing because we are using canned tracks which is a pretty common solution I think for amateur community theaters mm-hmm. because it is leaps and bounds more complex and expensive to get a live band. Right. So what are your feelings on? I love live music. I can't wait to see Sweeney Todd on Broadway when I make my next trip because they're using the original orchestrations with the 26-piece orchestra. Uh Um, But musicians are expensive, quite. I mean, there were times, like many times, when I did shows for free and everybody else was free, but the musicians got paid. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I mean, they spend a lot of time and effort with their stuff, and I love live music. But then I've seen things up at Georgetown, which I have to refer to them again, that are canned music. And my friend Larry, who's the orchestrator, he actually has a company, I'm not sure the name, but it's online. Mm-hmm. And he they create the tracks that are then sold for this. Right. We saw something rotten up in Georgetown. And it was like the Broadway show because it was the tracks were the Broadway show music. Yep. I mean, you couldn't beat it, and they couldn't have matched it. They couldn't have, even Georgetown couldn't have afforded the number of musicians to match that sound. Mm-hmm. So I'm torn. You know, the, the theater person in me loves live music and live shows. But I also don't think it took away at all to have that good a sound for them. Yeah. So... Uh, Boy, I wish I could give a clear-cut answer. No, I don't. I don't think there is a clear-cut. And there's advantages and disadvantages as as a performer too, because yeah. when you have live music, you can you the singer kind of lead the song. You can take liberties. You can take liberties from one night to the other, mm-hmm. and the band can follow you, which is nice. On the other hand, 
With Cantrax, you can practice on your own a thousand times to get that timing perfect because you know how long every pause is going to last. Right. Yeah. yeah. And there's pluses and minuses, and the biggest, the biggest plus is the cost. Yeah. You know, you can. It's so much less to buy that track from Tam Mark or Rogers and Hammerstein or whoever your rights are being handled by. Right. So. I wish I had a real clear-cut answer, but I, I'm very oh, no, I torn think that's an about it. Answer. And yeah. you do need a musical director. I mean, David, musical directs up there, and he's mm-hmm. the one who's making. You know, just like I, I say when I run the lights nowadays, mm-hmm. it's like this isn't running lights. This <laughs> is like push a button, and that's it. Yeah, well, well, I, I Again, think I know you, what you mean by you, that. Can you explain it for folks who yeah, might not be familiar? Um, with? Everything is computerized now. Mm-hmm. The lighting designer sets up a, a computer program for the lighting. Mm-hmm. And all the person who's running it has to do is every cue. You push the button, and it goes to the next lighting. Mm-hmm. And you push the button, it goes to the next lighting. Um, whereas when I used to run lights, um, and I handled all the, the dimmer switches and everything mm-hmm. on my own, you could just nuance it. You could, you could slow down yeah. that blackout. You, or you could, like, boom, it's blackout. Yeah. Um, you really can't do that anymore because everything's computerized. Yeah, not bad, but you know, for if and that's all they do nowadays. So people mm-hmm. who've never done it the other way are just—they don't even understand what I'm saying. But, yeah, um, I don't think I appreciated nearly how complex a lighting setup in a theater is. I mean, there are dozens, mm-hmm. at least, of lights in, in most theaters, point in different directions. Yeah. Physically located in different places with different functions and but it bring was color so, into it. So. so much fun back in the olden days when you had these oh, yeah. big, you know, handles and you if you had to do five or six at a time, you had a broomstick yeah. that you would need to, you know, up and down. Or, <laughs> but and you could but you could also, you know, like I said, you could nuance mm-hmm. the things and, and it's very hard to do now because the computer program will only do so much. But, you know, like our guy couldn't be there one night and he said, can you run this? And I was like, yeah, no problem. Just push the buttons. Yeah. Of course, he pushed the buttons according to the lines and I go by the music, uh-huh. which made it a little interesting. <laughs> but uh, again, it's like with the orchestra. It's yeah, there's good and bad in both. Yeah. I hope community theater stays around because we need it. I mean, you know, kids need it. Kids need to have the education of, you know, doing shows and learning about how to do shows and us frustrated actors who all work (laughs) other jobs, you know, need a place to go and to be. I mean, that was, even though I had to work other jobs many, many times, you know, that was my life. I mean, you know, I could be sick as a dog and skip work, but I was going to that rehearsal. Um, It just, it, theater needs to stay around and I wish there was a way economically that, it could be easier yeah. for all of us. I know all the theater. I know City's struggling. I know, I know Lisa with Ground Floor Theater is mm-hmm. struggling. Um, you know, she pays her her rent has doubled in that space because mm. as the space gets fixed up around her, yeah. they get more money for it. Um, and it's it's not easy. And I hope that it doesn't drive more and more places out of business because we need it. Yeah. And Austin has awesome talent to pull from yeah i mean i've never seen talent like i've seen here i mean i just saw a concert version of follies at the parker jazz club with adam roberts directing Mm -hmm. it was amazing the people that he had were just so good 
And like I said, everybody, every show that Austin Theater Project did, I'm so proud of the musicals and, mm-hmm. and the people that were in them. They were top-notch talent. So we just need to keep theater going, community <laughs> and otherwise. It's fun to go to Broadway, but I, I also go to as many productions around here as I can. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been nice to well, reminisce about Austin Theater yeah. Project. This has been the Community of Theater Podcast. Apologies to you, the listener, and Barbara. I am grievously behind schedule. We recorded this episode in May, nearly five months ago. After that, my life was pretty well entirely consumed by nine to five. I thought I knew what I was getting into, and it was very rewarding. I am very proud of the show that we put on. But being part of both the creative team and a performer for a single show, I found it overwhelming. We closed two months ago, and only in the past week have I found my energy level returning to some sense of normalcy. But back to today's topic. As we covered in the episode, Austin Theater Project is no longer producing shows. But if you're curious about their history, the group's Facebook page is still out there, and I'll link to it in the show notes. As always, if you have feedback of any kind, please reach out to me at communityoftheater at gmail.com or message the show's page on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and if you're currently in a production, break a leg.